Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. As James said, it's an honor to be here. My name is Tom Richter, and um, most of you I have met and become friends with. If you're new to City on a Hill, two things. Number one, you're at a good place, and I encourage you to keep coming back to City on a Hill. Number two, I uh, get to be part of the, the teaching that goes on here, and it's a joy and a privilege, and my church meets in the evening, so I'm able to be here and minister with you this morning, then I'll go back to Queens and be with my own folks in the evening. Thank you to James for uh, so much preaching he did at New Hope in uh, 2014 while we were away on mission and doing various things, so it's good. There's probably lots of ways to measure a church's health, but one of them might be how long it takes the children to exit because there's so many families and kids. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. You realize that's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a good sound. That's what you want, you know? Uh, there are churches that uh, don't have any children that disrupt their service, and they would, they would love to have that, you know? So uh, we, we pray for them. It's a good thing. For me, uh, you know, I'm like James with his one word thing. I I try to think the same way. The new year is such a good time to stop and ponder moving forward, you know, a a clean slate, a new year. And uh, I want to talk today about where our influence comes from. Where Where does influence come from in your life? Who's speaking into your life? Who's pouring truth into your life? Where are you getting your wisdom? Where are you getting your counsel? One thing that I, I was reading an article, one thing that struck me was reading an article watching musical artists, in, uh, and they were interviewed about who are your musical influences. You ever hear that? So like you'll be reading along, and the artist is trying to think of, well, who are the bands, who are the musicians that influence the way you do music? They either performed a certain way, or they wrote a certain way, or they, you know, had a certain musical style. A lot of times I think they're just trying to think of some band that's really hip and cool, so they look good in the interview. But, uh, you know, list of musical influences. And so I was just reading along, and uh, I, fa- I found some here for you. For example, did you know Chris Tomlin, who, if you don't know who Chris Tomlin is, anytime you come to church and sing, you're singing his song. Because uh, <laughs> you have a pulse. Yep, you've sung Chris Tomlin. Uh, Chris Tomlin's this Christian songwriter. You know, he grew up in Texas, and so he lists his musical influences as Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. So there you go. Yeah, all right. Uh, Chris Tomlin, there you go. Those are his musical influences. Uh, I looked up Lecrae. I don't know, any, any hip-hop fans here? Any, uh, yeah, 116, anybody? Okay, yeah. I don't know if it's possible, but as a preacher, could I occasionally get a hype man who, like, in the middle of the sermon is like, oh, one more verse. Do you hear that? Do you hear what he did? He rhymed it. Probably not going to happen. Yeah. But Lecrae lists as one of his musical influences the hip-hop uh, artist Cross Movement, which was cool for me and made me feel a little old, because uh, uh, Cross Movement was one of the first, he loves hip-hop music, but they took the style of hip-hop and put the gospel message in it, so they used the medium of hip-hop, but used the message, and Cross Movement, I've actually seen them live, like I knew them, and you, you don't, and that's okay, uh, <laughs> but I went on, um, I, uh, so, I, so then I got curious about other artists' musical influences, Justin Bieber <laughs> lists as his musical influences, Michael Jackson, Usher, and Tupac. I'm so sorry, Tupac. I, but then I thought, well, I'm preaching in Long Island, so I've got to represent the most famous musician ever to come out of Long Island, Billy Joel. you got to, right? Yep. 
He lists his musical influences Beethoven, Beatles, and Ray Charles. Go figure. Uh, I also wanted to do the most famous musician ever to come out of Queens. No, not Paul Simon, not the Ramones, Nicki Minaj. And Nicki Minaj lists Jay-Z, Beyonce, Madonna. You get what I'm saying, right? Marilyn Manson lists Satan, and Daft Punk lists the sound a fax machine makes. But you get, you get the general gist, right? That everybody's got these influences. Now, what if we made a list of your influences? What if we interviewed you and said, who's your Christian influence? Who's your lifestyle influence? You say, well, I'm not even a Christian. Fine. Where do you get your wisdom? Who has poured into you? Where is your counsel from? One thing is, I don't think you would even know how big that list is. So much of your counsel comes, you don't even know. These artists are just making up people they like, but they have no idea where that influence came from. You have no idea. All the, the many, you might think, well, my friends or my family or the home I grew up in. And that's, that's a lot of it, but where has your counsel come from? Who's told you what the good life is? Go get that. That's what a good life is, right? A lot of people are telling you, here's how to get the good life, but who's telling you what the goal should be? What is a good life? Who gets to say that in your life? What is, what is a good path for life? Uh, you, you, know, uh, how when you, ha- you know how when you got a lot of little kids in your house, like I do? I mean, they're just, they're these little humans that run around my house, they're, they're crazy uh, all the time. You start to change the way you talk. You start to, I mean, like Nick Jr. goes off and there's a commercial. You're like, no, right? Because it might be inappropriate. You don't know. And suddenly, why do you do that? Because my wife and I have this saying, you've said it, because little kids, man, they're sponges. And what does that mean? That means they collect germs from everywhere. But also, it also means, it also means, more to my point, it means they soak in everything. Here's the thing. Do you know, show me, when did you outgrow being a sponge? Like, we're all like, oh, little kids are sponges. Show me the day when you're like, and 12 and a half. I'm no longer a sponge. I had my sponge mitzvah, and now I'm not, you know... You didn't, you never outgrew that. You are right now sponging up everything around you. Do you realize that? And do you know how much media is being poured into you? So where is your counsel coming from? Show me your counsel, and I'll show you your destiny. You know, I was talking to Katie, and she was talking about her little friends and everything. And as she started talking about her friends, I started doing the, I started doing the math on this. She's in a particular school where she'll stay with that same her class. Not her grade, her class, those 20 kids. I'm talking about Adele and Ella and Nick and all the rest of them. Yeah, that, that, all five years of elementary school. And I started thinking about that, and she started to ask me a question. I looked at her, and I said, Katie, listen, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And I was like, I'm the man. And she looked at mom like, how does dad know my future? Based on, I was like, ah. But I'm right, aren't I? Right? You show me the counsel that pours into your life. And I'll show you who, what your destiny is, how your life goes, how your one word goes this year, how the whole thing goes. Thankfully, the Bible does not leave us hanging on this. It, it, it knows that we're sponges. And so turn with me to where the Bible addresses this, not indirectly, but head on. To Psalm chapter 1. The Bible's hymnal, the songbook. Before there was Chris Tomlin, there was King David. And the Bible's songbook, of all the ways it could start, right? Of all the ways the songbook could start. It starts Psalm 1 saying, that, you know, let's get our counsel right. Here we go, Psalm chapter 1. And I, I think it, uh, it may be on the, <clears throat> the PowerPoint. If, you, if uh, you got it on your phone, turn there to Psalm 1. If you got it in your Bible in front of you, open up to Psalm 1. Here we go. It starts with, a, with a, a great phrase, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. 
And it goes on to describe this, this blessed man. I just want to focus on blessed is the man. Now, if you're here and you say, well, blessed is the man, but I'm a woman, it just means blessed is the person, okay? Blessed is the one who walked, who, they're going to describe, the blessed here means happy. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, I love it, he's like, how much, how, how much God must like you, right? To be under the favor of God, to be blessed of God. How happy is the one? In other words, the Bible's saying, hey, we got questions about what the good life is? I'll show you what the good life is. Here's what the blessed one does. And the blessed one does not do a few things and does do a few things. And he's going to list exactly what they are. And he says, how blessed is the one who, here we go, walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Where does your counsel come from? What does it mean? Go, go. What does it mean to walk not in the counsel of the wicked? It means you don't follow the advice. You don't get your advice from the counsel of the wicked. Now, what is the counsel of the wicked? Doesn't that sound sort of Lord of the Ringsy? You know, like you're going to be coming around a corner and there, like hooded around a bubbling cauldron. We are the counsel of the wicked and we would like to give you advice. I am not worried that if you saw them on the drive home, like, come, take advice from us for the counsel of the wicked. I have no problem that you would either call the cops or just drive on, right? You wouldn't, I'm not worried about that. And that's what's so sinister. That's what's so insidious about the counsel of the wicked. Dallas Willard, in a book James recently recommended to me, and um, I, I, the, 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 what's the Ortberg-Willard convo thing? The Living in Christ's Presence. In that book, Willard talks about the counsel of the wicked, and he says the trouble, the counsel of the wicked is not a group of sinister demons who are trying to give you advice. It's the way people talk every day. You're surrounded by the counsel of the wicked. And Ortberg gave some examples of what he calls the counsel of the wicked. Another translation says the counsel of the ungodly. Fine, same thing. Ortberg gives some examples. And listen to how sinister these are. Because at first you're like, you know, the counsel of the wicked would be like, hey, let's worship Satan and sacrifice a goat. And, you know. no, 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 this is it. Here's one. Here's counsel of the wicked. Live as if it matters what people think of you. That sounds harmless. That just means live your life as if, okay, so it matters what people think of you. Do you know the trajectory of your life? Do you know how far from God you'll end up if you follow that counsel as the foundation of your life? What will others think of me? It's wicked. That's satanic counsel. And yet we think, well, it's, it's harmless. No, it's the counsel of the wicked. It's, what about this one? Ortberg suggests, live as if the outcomes of your life are all on your shoulders and you alone control them. Do you know the anxiety and the worry that that counsel produces in a human life? That everything's about you. There's no God. You've got to control the outcomes. That's counsel of the wicked, man. Live as if aging is something to fear and worry about. That's counsel of the wicked. Tell me that's not all around us. Tell me that's not all around us. The worst thing that could happen to you is aging. Do you know what a Christian response should be to that? Do you know how bold Christians should face aging? And how well and dignified, we're the, we have eternal life. So what if I'm right now wrinkling and thickening? I'm going to be here a long time, y'all. But we've been, you've been told that's counsel of the wicked. And do you know the amount of money and time and anxiety is spent on looking younger and all that stuff? As if aging is something to fear? That's counsel of the wicked. Live as if satisfying your desires and appetites is central to your well-being and a really wise way to live. If you have an appetite, feed that. Whether it's food or lust or greed, if you have an appetite, feed it. That's what you're being taught every day in advertisements. Live as if consuming more things will lead to greater happiness. 
And I know I don't have to talk on this. James covers this really well. Like, for example, this one word. But look, how, I don't know how much stuff you have now, but I don't know if you're happy or not. But I can tell you this. Uh, if, you're, if you're happy or not, if, let's say you're not happy with the amount of stuff you have. If you go get more stuff, you won't be happier. You know why? Because um, there's never been a correlation between stuff and happiness. It's just not there. Uh, Ortberg gives an illustration of Council of the Wicked. He was pulling up to a gas station, and he sees a big sign that says, at the gas station's motto, this company, this oil company's motto, we will help you go faster. And he's like, yeah. And he started thinking, why? Wait, what, what if the great need of my life is to slow down? But nobody ever stops to think, hey, what is a blessed life? Just faster, more, uh, higher, stronger, faster. I'm back to Daft Punk. Like, how can we keep going? Like, more, 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 right? When it, when it, it may be less, maybe the goal. Mm, counsel of the wicked. I can't remember if this is a, a something I read or something uh, James told me about or something we read. to get. You know, research is really just forgetting where you read something. And then you can just quote it as if you invented it. Um, <laughs> so I read this thing. Uh, Anyway, it was an advertisement around the holiday season, and it was for a Lexus dealer, and it said in, in, the, in the newspaper, and it said, happiness cannot be bought. And I was blown away. I was like, in the midst of the holiday madness, can I just get a what, what? Like, that is amen. Like, finally, some common sense, some biblical truth in the middle of all this consumption, and of all people, the Lexus dealer saying happiness cannot be bought. I was like, Amen. And at the bottom of the ad, it says, but now, for a limited time, it can be leased. <laughs> like, no! <laughs> like, how is that possible? They set you up, and they, where, it was in somewhere, I, right? Where, that's what, that's counsel of the wicked. Turn on the TV, listen to conversations around you, and boil them down. Acquire more. Be more successful. Look younger. Look sexier. Get even with those who hurt you. It's all around. And if you're not actively against that, you're walking in the, you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. You just walk in, you're walking every day in the counsel of the wicked. If you don't actively feel like you're fighting against that, you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. And you walk in it, it's in your thoughts, it's in your thoughts, and you're walking, and then a group pulls off to the side, then you do a real dangerous thing. You start to act in the counsel of the wicked, and you pull off with them, and you begin to stand in the way of sinners. Notice the progression. If you're getting off the train, okay, you're just walking in the mass of humanity on the, on the commuter train. But then if you see a group of people who pull off and they got the socks pulled up real high with the Birkenstocks and the map out, you're like, well, they're not from here. And you pull off with them, right? You, that's, a, that's a group. They're doing their own thing. That's another step of commitment. You've pulled off with them. You're, the next verse says you're standing in the way of sinners. You've gone from walking in the counsel of the wicked. Now it affects your actions. You're standing in the way of sinners. And look where this ends. Nor, notice the, the progression, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. When, listen, when you sit down somewhere, it means you're not going anywhere for a while. I'm sitting here. I'm parking it for a while. You've been walking in the counsel of the wicked. You didn't mean to. You, I mean, you didn't necessarily think about it. You weren't fighting against it. You were just walking in the counsel of the wicked. But then it started to affect your actions. You stood in the way of sinners, and now you're sitting. And look, you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. Two things about that. When you're sitting, you're stuck. There's a lot of people who are like, I, I'm stuck in my life. I don't know how I got stuck. I can tell you how. You walked in the counsel of the wicked. That's it. That's where it started. It started by where did you get your counsel? You got it from the wrong place. And you started walking in the that's, that's why you're stuck. You're seated. The other thing I want to point out about this verse is, of all things, another translation says, sits in the seat of mockers. Can I just tell you something? Sitting in the seat. When you're sitting in the seat, you're not creating anything. You're consuming. And sitting and mocking. Sitting and mocking. I just described every internet comment that's ever been commented in the history of internet comments. 
mocking, and I guarantee you from a seated position. Probably have been seated for a long time. There's some potato chips that have fallen down in your shirt, right? (laughs) Sit, mock. Let me tell you, that is the life of a consumer. And I want to make a big deal about this because I believe it's biblical. But to consume and scoff. Consume it. Consume and rate. That's what we do. We, bu- we get the app, we rate it. We buy the product from Amazon, we rate it. We watch the movies, we tell our friends, oh, it, was good. it was all right. We consume and scoff. Consume and scoff. But your destiny as a, cre- as a Christian is not to be fundamentally defined as a consumer, but as a co-creator. To pick up that guitar and from the void of the wire and wood say, let there be music. To write a poem that brings life into the world. To fix a car. To build a computer. Some of you, you feel this when you decorate a room and you're an interior designer and you make the room functional and beautiful. Or when you cook a meal. Some of you are chefs. You see, you're not just create and, 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 and I, mean, I, mean, I mean, you're not just consume and scoff. You're creating. That's the life of a Christian. You're not sitting and scoffing. And you know what happens when you sit and scoff? The world just passes you by. You just sit and scoff. You've just consumed your whole life. So great. So you rated all these apps, and so you looked at all these movies, and you got, you got an opinion about all of them. Great. You're a scoffer. Great. You're a hater. That's fine. What have you done with your life? And it all started because you walked in the counsel of the wicked. Our goal as Christians is not to consume and rate. It's to create. That's where a hype man would have been like, The, uh, the hope is not just, what, not just what, what, what the blessed man does not do, but look at what he does. Instead, how do you get out of this counsel of the wicked? How do you get out of walking in the counsel of the wicked? Here's how. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. When, when it says his delight is in the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord is the instruction of the Lord. Hey, it's, you know, the Bible. It's God's word. God's words about God's ways. This is how we discover the ways in which God's work, God works. And the law of the Lord is <laughs> this thing that he delights in. Now, uh, um, uh, okay, some of you already know where I'm going to go with this sermon. Um, if you don't, I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, the sermon's basically going to be like read your Bible every day in the new year. And some of you are like, yeah. Others will be like, I would have never saw that coming. I was in Nicki Minaj. How did you get to that? So I need to work on my transitions. Fine. But, uh, but that's where we're going with this. I'm going to try to get you to convince you to read your Bible every day. Because that's the only way not to stand in the, not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Some of you knew I was going with that. And here's the one you're going to struggle with. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So some of you, you, you already know where I'm going. And, I, you know, but it's that, do I delight in the law of the Lord? Like, look, if Pastor Tom gets up here and he gives me like a New Year's resolution to read my Bible more, maybe out of guilt I could grind through some more pages of Bible reading. But this doesn't say that. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that's why I want to be careful when I talk about reading the Bible every day, not to delve into kind of legalism, not to delve in a kind of controlling of your spiritual formation. I heard this quote years ago. He says, if you want your people to build boats, figure out how to build boats. He says, don't give them textbooks about nautical science. Teach them to yearn for the vast and boundless sea. In other words, 
I could coach you on some tips and tricks and life hacks on how to read your Bible more, and it won't, it won't matter, it won't work. I give you a textbook on how to build, but if you have people who yearn for the vast and boundless sea, they'll figure out how to build a boat. And that's how it comes to Bible reading and to Bible knowledge. It has to be delight. Because if it's duty, if you read your Bible every day because your understanding of a holy God is that on heaven's refrigerator, he's got a chart with your name on it. And if you read your Bible that day, you get a little, you get a little cross. <laughs> but if you fail, you get an X, Right? And that is how you, you must earn his approval. And so the, the way you read your Bible every day is to check a box as if you have to earn the approval of God. And just for the record, if you're seeking to earn the approval of God, um, the cross. See, he sent his only begotten son to die for you. Don't seek something that you, that, that has long been dealt with. But that's the way we read the Bible. And if you're reading the Bible just to check it off, just to fulfill a New Year's resolution, the fact of the matter is that will actually lead to pride. Not to the sweet-spirited, big-heartedness that comes from the man or the woman who delights in the law of the Lord. So, so, so delight. I get that. I mean, and, and it is possible. Like, I have to be careful. It is possible because if you're sitting here and you're going, like, I get it, Tom. It can't just be duty. It has to be delight. I need to not only read Leviticus, I need to love Leviticus. Well, we got a problem. Because in my heart, Tom, I don't delight in the law of the Lord. And if you're sitting here going, I don't delight. I do, my alarm clock does not go off and I think, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Going to read numbers. That, if that's not your morning and you don't delight in the law of the Lord, what do you do? And this is what I struggle with. Like, what do you do if you don't delight in the law of the Lord? Oh. And I'm going to quote John Piper twice in this message. And if you're keeping score, this is John Piper quote number one. When I read this, this is from a sermon in 1999. He preached it on January 3rd, 1999. And I found this thing. And he preaches this whole thing. What if you don't delight in the law of the Lord? Psalm 1 says he delights in the law of the Lord. What if you don't delight in the law of the Lord? And he goes through the whole thing. I'm like scrolling down. Yeah, yeah. He's like, if you don't delight in the law of the Lord, come back next week. We're going to talk about that. I was like, are you kidding me? So I just downloaded. But I downloaded January 10th, 1999. And sure enough, he says, we talked about the lion. And when I read this, I was like, so obvious. If you're here today and you don't delight in the law of the Lord, you know what he says, do? He says, pray and ask God to give you delight in the law of the Lord. And I was like, well, duh. <laughs> I better not tell Pastor Linda this. She'll be like, you didn't know that, right? <laughs> right? It's so obvious, though. And I read that, and I was like, of course. And he goes on. Listen to this. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you, people who say they have a defeated attitude, and this is John Piper, I can't enjoy the Bible because I don't have the desire. I don't have the delight. He goes, that's the way atheists talk. God is in the business of creating what is not. You need a hype man. I'm telling you. Right, right. God is in the business of creating what is not. Don't, don't come to the Bible like an atheist and go, well, Lord, I don't delight in the word. I mean, some people are into crafting. Some people are into, like, automobiles. Some people are into Bible study. And I'm not one of these people who's into it. I don't have delight. Then don't pray like an atheist and go, well, then I never will. Pray like Psalm 119 that says, incline my heart, O God, to seek your commands. Let him create delight in you. It's not going to happen overnight, but don't tell me. I mean, why, why would he not? That's what he does. He will give you. He will change your heart. We're not atheists. We're not fatalists. The, uh, 
to just ask him. And then on his law, he meditates day and night. For a lot of people, they're like, does that mean I have to read my Bible in the morning and in the night? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about have to read my Bible. See delight in the law of the Lord, okay? A couple things about that. Um, it may seem daunting, but the goal in Bible reading is not actually to get through more and more Scripture. It's to get more and more Scripture through you. And so it could be that meditating on the law of the Lord, maybe there's one thing from the Bible, one verse or one word that sticks with you that's on the front burner of your mind for weeks and weeks, and then that one goes to the back and something else comes. Stick with that. Think about that all the time. And people would say, but I don't know how to meditate. Well, do you know how to worry? If so, you're already an expert meditator. When I say meditator, I think about this tater that's like, meta. If you know how to worry, you know, how to, you know why? Because worry is obsessing over a negative thought over and over, probably more than day and night. Take out that worry, put in scripture. Yeah, congratulations, meditating day and night. You're doing that. You all, you're an expert at it. Uh, some would still say, yeah, but I don't know if I can read the Bible. I don't know if I can meditate day and night. Well, okay, what about this? On his law, he meditates day and night. On his law. Just pretend those are three blanks. And on blank, blank, or, or blank, 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 he meditates day and night. You're already filling in the blanks with something. So, okay, on his law, oh, I could never do that. Well, on my phone, I meditate day and night. I, we can upgrade that, you know? On Conan O'Brien, I meditate day and night. On his law is better than on Candy Crush, I meditate day and night. Like, you know, we can do this. On, you're already meditating on something or someone day and night. Why not his law? Uh, as for practical steps, I resist giving practical steps because practical steps turn this into the how-to. But I, I've said it before. Um, like, like when I was preparing this message, my long-suffering wife, Jackie, I came in to her where she was, and um, I was like, Jackie, who's the, who's the most godliest, like, figure from the old testament you can think of and because she's known long time that like this is how i process and think through sermons she just always plays along this long suffering she's she's awesome and uh and she says uh i don't know i'm gonna say abraham and i was like okay good answer do you know that right now you know infinitely more scripture than abraham you know more you've read more bible than father abraham and she was like so you don't want me to read my Bible? I'm like, I'm thinking through this, all right? <laughs> like Moses, he never read John 3.16. Many of you have. For people who are like, I'm, I'm going to win the Scripture Olympics and get God to love me, David did just fine with the Lord, and he didn't know the Scripture. The point is that we are given the Word of God, not as a guilt thing, but that we, we might know him more. And so when you come to the word of God and you say, well, I'm a failure if, I have, if I've missed a day or I haven't, we're looking at this thing all wrong. And that's why I never even want to give tips on daily Bible reading plans and all that stuff. Because then it sounds like I've created this legalistic scheme whereby to really know the heart of God, you've got to know him more. What about, what about people in, in closed countries of the gospel who get thrown in jail? They get out like 30 years later and say, what sustains you? Because I knew two verses of scripture and a hymn and I sang them every day. You're like, I won't have the spiritual maturity of that guy in all my Leviticus reading, right? Does that make Leviticus reading wrong? No. It makes trying to earn my relationship with God through a legalistic means, even a good one like Bible reading, wrong. Because it never was right. Having said all that, there are some of you that are like, but please, could you just give me like little crumbs from the training table? Like just any tips? Yes, I will give you crumbs. One is uh, the, the daily. I, uh, so I go, uh, one is a daily Bible reading plan. I think you need a plan. One of the big hindrances to reading your Bible every day is you wake up, you're kind of sleepy already. You get some coffee and you're like, 
But if you don't have anything to read, then you're in this moment. Okay, Lord, let's do this. And you're like, concordance again? Awesome, done. Like, and you're, you know. (laughs) You know how I know how that happens? Uh, That's not a good plan. Don't do that. Um, Get a plan. Get a daily Bible reading plan. Now, I googled the phrase daily Bible reading plan, and that's what I want you to do. Um, Google daily Bible reading plan, and there's five million of them. Like, a lot of times I use hyperbole to get a point across, but this time I'm not. Google gives you a search result list at the very top of the number of hits. On daily Bible reading plan, 4,990,000 results. There's 4.9 million daily Bible reading plans available to you right now for free. But that's a lot of choices. I understand. Some of you, you're like, I don't do well with 4.9 million choices. Could you narrow it down? I, I feel you. So I will tell you, as for me, the one I recommend personally, because there's one Bible in a year, there's chronological, there's verse a day, there's Old Testament, New Testament with some Psalms sprinkled in. So for me, you don't have to do this. Again, I'm not trying to be legalistic. But out of 4.9 million daily Bible reading plans, the one I recommend personally is any of them. (laughs) Because it's the Bible. Okay. Like, just pick one and go. The other thing I recommend, because some people are like, well, I don't want to read a bunch of scripture. I just want to know the scripture I know really well. Good. Scripture memory. That's included in this. Just get scripture in you. And I do recommend a specific app for that that a lot of people in our church use. And you memorize a verse a week, and it's an app. It's called Fighter Verse. Fighter Verse. To help you fight the good fight of faith, you know? Fighter Verse. Now, I will say that one's not free because you download it on your phone. It's got like quizzes and things that help you memorize this week's verse. Actually, it's a verse a week, and it's due on Sunday. So like this week's verse is, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not, call it com- I did not come to call the righteous but sinners under repentance. Math- Matthew, uh, I got work to do still, but I got till tonight. But you get what I'm saying. That's how it works. And you do that every week. And that's called Fighter Verse. Now, that one costs money. I think it's $2.99 or $3.99 app to download. I do encourage that one because if you'll use the promo code Tom's Sermon, I get a nickel of. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have any vested interest. Just, just get that app. And a lot of people at my church use it and are blessed by it. But if you want to just memorize scripture the old fashioned way. But people are like, Tom, that was a good sermon, but it didn't have any application. I'm literally recommending to you something called an app, which is short for application. I don't know what else to do. This is. Here's why. Oh, this this is good. If you'll do that, no longer walking in the counsel of the wicked. I've got my fighter verse app. I'm reading my scripture every morning. It's just a little bit. I'm not doing it legalistic. Or it's a lot because I'm free to do a lot. I'm not under law. I just want to get to know him. And I'm beginning to delight in the law of the Lord. Here's what starts to happen. He becomes like a tree planted by streams of water. You know why that's important? Because every now and then you'll be going through life and you're just under the rainfall blessing. I know, ble- I know rain feels like a nuisance. But for an agricultural society, you know, like the rainfall is a mark of his blessing. Like he's got us. And we can't, no matter what we do, we can't make it rain. And 2,000 years since Jesus, in however many years since, you know, the Israelites, we still can't make it rainfall from the sky. That's got to be a free blessing of God. There's times, there's seasons in your life. Have you ever been there? Where wherever you went, the rain of God's blessing was just showering upon you. And you felt like he, he was speaking to you. Maybe it wasn't even, maybe it was in a time of pain. But you felt like he was always over you. He was speaking to you. Here's the thing. If you're in that season right now, 
Good for you. Enjoy it. That's awesome. They come and go. You can't predict them. You can't count on them. But what about those times when you haven't felt the rainfall of God's blessing? It's been a real dry season for that. The one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. When you're not feeling the rainfall, it's okay. You're planted by streams of water. That you forever have a chance to hear the revelation of God. Here. And that means you're not going to wither. You're not going to dry up. Yields its fruit in season. Who Yields fruit in season. You don't know what season of life you're about to enter. But there's a way to know whether or not you'll be fruitful in it. Some of you are, are that's, that's why the value of meditating scripture is not so that you have a better day. It's so that you have a better day 10 years later. You know what I'm saying by that? That's why you, something that you meditated on six months ago. We've had prayer requests a year ago. We prayed them and they came like a year later. That's, they take time. That's, that's how fruit works. We come to God. We're like, oh, I want apple pie. Give me apple pie to nourish me. And God's like, here you go. I will answer that prayer. And he gives you apple seeds. You're like, what? And God's like, that will, that will, that will be, that's how you get apple pie. It just, it's going to take some time and some, you know, bacon and some simmering and all that. And it's going to, but that's how fruit works. The best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. I'm sorry. But the second best time, if you failed to do that 50 years ago, is today. So that there'll be some fruit. I told you there were two John Piper quotes. This is the second. Your life will be fruitful. I'm now quoting from Pastor John Piper. If you delight in the word of God and meditate on it day and night, you will yield your fruit in season. You will be a fruitful person. Oh, for more fruitful people. You know them. They're refreshing and nourishing to be around. You go away from them fed. You go away strengthened. You go away with your taste for spiritual things awakened. Their mouth is a fountain of life. Their words are healing and convicting and encouraging and deepening and enlightening. Being around them is like a meal. Oh, for more fruitful people. Because trees are great. Trees, I'm sure, live blessed little trees, tree existences. Treesistence. I don't know what the word is for a tree's existence. I don't know that anyone knows what the word, that's not a word. Being a tree is great, but the great thing about a tree is how much that tree blesses the world around it, you know? And you to be a fruitful person, hmm, and whose leaf does not wither. I don't want to make too much of this, but I also don't want to make too little. Whose leaf does not wither. Do you, let's stay with the Bible's analogy literally for just a second. Do you know the value of a leaf to the tree to have unwithered leaves? It's this little thing I like to call photosynthesis. That leaf is the tree's mechanism by which the leaf, if it's not withered, if it works, takes energy from the sun and through photosynthesis turns it into sugars which then nourish the rest of the tree. Withered leaf, no nourishment. Here's what I think that means. God speaks to us through his word and we read it in the morning, read it in the morning, but he also speaks to us all around like the beams of sunlight falling down upon us. The only way to really appreciate, receive and understand the word of God that comes to us out in the world at work, on the train, in nature, the only way we understand his voice out here is that we've got his voice in here. It's like our leaves have not withered. When you get the word of God brewing in here, you're finally able to hear him speak out there. And a lot of people with withered leaves and no knowledge of Scripture are going around going, why won't God speak to me? Or he did speak to me, and they say some crazy thing. Or, un- Word of God in here allows the photosynthesis of God's Word. Too far, too much. Allows God's Word to speak to I don't think I can use photo. Allows God's Word to speak to us out here in the world. Why? Because our leaf has not withered. And all that he does, he prospers. 
all. In all that he does, he prospers. What a, what, a, what a promise. You know, the reason everything that this person does prospers is because he's no longer walking in the counsel of the wicked. And the counsel of the wicked have a very clear definition of prospering. Make more. Get ahead. Be younger. Be fitter. Be better looking. Hmm? That's prospering. And fail to do that. And how much pressure is on us to prosper? Even pastors do this. We measure success in the world's ways. And we put all this pressure to make this thing work like a church should in the world's terms. And Jesus is like, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm just saying, like, if you would measure success and just walk in step with me every day, I really think, you know, that's a lot of people, they look at the following Jesus, they go, oh, following Jesus is so hard and so costly. Your, your life is already hard and costly. Like, we talk about the cost of discipleship. Have you considered the cost of non-discipleship? At some point, you go, his yoke really is easy. His burden really is light. It would be a lot simpler just to keep in step with him. You may not have all the things the world defines as what you need, but you have all you need in him. And that's why he prospers. The definition of prosper is completely different for the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You begin to see what's valuable in a whole different way. That's it. The wicked are not so. They're like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the, wor- for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, so read your Bibles. <clears throat> I have to conclude with a brief word about, I'll say it again. And anytime you preach a sermon like this, you run the risk of legalism, which is toxic. It's poison. Your pastors and I agree wholeheartedly on this, that this cannot devolve into legalism. And if it becomes a guilt thing, to read your Bible every day out of guilt, it becomes a legalistic thing, it's soul-crushing. And yet, and yet, having said that, I can't help think that when you're first starting out in this, there may be things that feel legalistic. So I tried, I racked my brain for an analogy that would help make this clear. And I've got one, and I don't know if it's going to work or not, but it's the only one I've got, so I offer it to you freely. You ready? All you've been eating is soda and junk food and candy, donuts and processed food like a Dorito that's been wrapped in bacon and deep fried. <laughs> James, will you write note to self, Dorito wrapped in bacon deep fried, put it in my bag, trademark me right now. Right, you eat processed junk food, sugars and all that. Every time you eat food, it's not even real food, but you get a dopamine punch to the brain as the pleasure receptors in your brain are like, yeah! That. Now, every other part of your body is like, we'd really rather have a carrot. But the dopamine pleasure receptor in your brain is the Kim Jong-un of your body. And it's like, no, we will have Twinkies. And you're like, everybody else, everybody else is meekly going, we'd really rather have a carrot. But no, because that guy, he gets a dopamine and the pleasure of a Twinkie that's highly processed to design, it's chemically designed to hit your bliss point, the chemist call it, to give you the maximum dopamine rush, and a carrot is a vegetable. (laughs) They cannot compare. When you talk about delight, they cannot compare. That is good. This tastes good. You with me? So say you decide, 2015 is the year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this better, okay? And I'm, believe me, I'm not one of these, like, put on a tinfoil hat. They want us to eat processed food. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not a crusader for this, okay? I don't care. But it's, a, it's the analogy. It's the analogy. Watch. Say you say this year, everybody agrees junk food's junk, though. That's why we call it junk food. So everybody's on that page. Say you say 2015 is the year I'm giving up the junk food, right? So here's what happens. You say, I'm going to do it. 
And, and you look, and there's a donut, but over here, there's a carrot, there's a watermelon-flavored Jolly Rancher, and there's a watermelon, right? And you're like, at first, you're like, no, I have to be good. I have to behave. It's discipline. And you eat the carrot, and you know what you say? <laughs> it's gross. Why? Because you've been like, you, can't, you don't even know what food tastes like anymore because you've been so blasted by the pleasure receptors of what fake food tastes like, the, 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 the counsel of the fake food for so long that you go, <clears throat> you would actually rather have a watermelon-flavored Jolly Rancher candy than a watermelon, right? Bananas are gross. Banana-flavored Laffy Taffy is suddenly delicious, right? <laughs> right? 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 So it's legalistic. I don't know how else to say it. It's guilt. And you've got an accountability partner. Every time you go to the vending machine, like, no. You're like, where did you come from? Ah, I, 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 but I want to be good. But if you will fight through that, if you will fight through that, if you'll get the eat right verse on your app and daily, like, read about this stuff and do all that stuff. I know it feels legalistic. I know it feels disciplined. I get that. But if you will fight through that, you know what happens a year? I don't know. I don't know when it happens. I don't know the day it happens. Could be a year. Could be two years. I don't know when it happens. But there comes a day. When you've been eating clean for so long, yeah, you mess up, everybody messes up, but you've been eating clean for so long is the general trajectory of your life. You come a day and you're at your friend's house and you think it's water and you take a drink and it's a sugary soda. You know what you do? <laughs> and it gives you a candy and you go, I'd rather just have a carrot and some fresh water. What happened to me? Here's what happened. That which is good, you finally began to taste it as good. You began to delight in it. And when you didn't get that sugar-laden junk food, it wasn't a discipline thing. It wasn't like, oh, I messed up 50 lashes with my own legalism whip. No, it was, no, 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 no. It was, you know what it was? It was, I missed that. I missed that. Look, look at exercisers. The, the people who run every day. At first, oh, this is so hard, so legalistic. I need accountability. I need, I need somebody to be legalistic and to tell me to go. But then a year later, two years later, you know what they say? When they miss their run that day, they don't go, oh, I'm so guilty. I'm such a failure. Legalism didn't check my box. They go, well, you know, there's always tomorrow. But all I want to say is, I miss exercise. I enjoyed it. It's something positive and good. And I don't know. I'm just not as good today. I, I missed it. I just, I just delight in it. That's all. I'm not legalistic. I just, I miss it. And when you're a beginner and you hear about that person, you say, what I, that will never happen for me. That is foreign, okay? That is insane, but it will happen to you. And when you're just first starting out and reading the Bible, you'll say, I'll never delight in the word of God. That will never happen to me, but you're wrong. I know it will. You know why? Because of something the Bible says in Hebrews. It says the word of God, this is not some dead book on a shelf. It says the word of God is living and active. And the best part about reading the word of God every morning is the chance to meet its author. And you'll, you've had this happen? You'll be reading Luke, and you just mind your own business. You're just reading Luke, and you're reading about Jesus, how he healed the, he healed the lame, and he caused the, the deaf to hear. He caused the blind to see, and you're just minding your own business. You're just reading, 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 and suddenly you realize, I am not alone in this room. That the one who walked out of the grave walked into my dorm room just now. The one who walked out of the grave is in my living room. The one who walked out of the grave is sitting here with my breakfast coffee. He's here. He's alive. The Word of God is living and active. And that's why I know you will get there. I know it feels legalistic at first to read your Bible every day. And you've got apps and, you're, and all these mechanisms. But there will come a day when you miss your Bible reading. You'll go, not, oh, I'm so legal. Oh, I'm a failure. You'll say, you know what? I missed it because I delight in it. And I'm sorry I missed that time. I'll get it tomorrow. I just, I just, I'm sorry I missed it. 
Some of you are already there. I need you to give testimony to people who aren't there yet as you disciple them and go, you can get there. It's going to happen for you. If you're already there, keep going. You're doing good. Doing good. Doing good. You need a counselor. You don't, you don't just need counsel. You need a counselor. And just the, That's from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's, it's him. It's not just that. It's, he's alive. <laughs> Almost forgot Isaiah 9-6. <laughs> That's it. Let's pray. God, I pray the city on a hill would meet you in your word, whatever that looks like, free from legalism, free from the bondage of a have to or a trying to make, make you love us kind of silliness but that we would delight in your law, meditate on it day and night. If we don't, I'm asking you right now, grant out of nothing that delight. For those who are already doing this, I pray they continue to do it. For those who need to download a Bible reading plan or a fighter verse app, I pray this sermon wouldn't just slip away into the recesses of their memory before it takes some action. Most of all, Lord, I thank you that you who are alive meet us as we meet you in your word. And I thank you that we're not just studying the dead words of an ancient teacher to help us be nice little boys and girls. We're communing with you. We're creating. We're not just consuming the words on the page. We're creating a life together with you as we read. Not just sitting in the seat of mockers. We're living this like a tree planted by streams of living water. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this new year. Thank you for a fresh start. Every Resurrection Sunday, we meet together Sunday to celebrate the one who walked out of the grave. Thank you, Lord, for the fresh start. As we turn our attention now, we focus our hearts on the great debt that you paid for us in our salvation. You know, we wouldn't even know about this were it not for your word. We thank you, God, for your word. And we thank you for paying this great debt that we could not pay that out of great love for us, you bore God's wrath, you offered all of us God's righteousness, such, un- such amazing love for us. We thank you for it. Tune our hearts now, God, as we partake of your table. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, on the night Jesus was betrayed, So the ushers are kind of moving around and and they'll know what to do. Just let them perform their ministry and get ready. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and after he'd given thanks, the Bible says clearly, after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you this in remembrance of me. He said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As I said, the ushers know how to get us to the Lord's table reverently, and these are the good gifts of God prepared for the people of God. So I turn it over now to the ministry of the ushers and the ministers who are serving podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.